0: Our scripture this morning is Mark 10, verses 32 to 52, which you can find on page 823 in our Black Bibles. And before I read this passage, Ron will offer a prayer for illumination.
1: Dear Lord God, we cannot see your truth unless you open our our eyes. We cannot see our pride and sins unless you show us. Please bless Pastor Jim as he opens your word this morning May we see yourself as we are And may we see Jesus as the Savior and Lord Whom whom we need We pray this in Jesus name, Amen. Amen. Amen Mark 10 verse 32
0: They were on the road going up to Jerusalem And Jesus was walking ahead of them They were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. They came to Jericho, and as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're continuing today in our series on the healing encounters of Jesus in the Gospels. We've only been able to look at a few of these in the season of Lent, but it's clear that. This healing ministry was central uh, to what Jesus was about. I, I mentioned last week that I was so struck by how attentive Jesus is in all of these healings to the, the distinctive needs of each person uh, who was before him. He never offered a, a generic healing uh, for people. In, in one case, he, he puts mud on a man's eyes and he, and he tells him to go and to wash it off, and the man is healed. In another case, he just speaks a word. In another case, he, he heals with a touch. If, if Jesus reveals the, the character of God, as Christians believe, think about what this means. That, that God is attentive to your distinctive story, your unique needs. All right, this is one reason why uh, I believe that, that counseling and, and therapy or, or just a, a conversation with a a friend over coffee, are are so important. The Holy Spirit loves it when we we let someone else into the details of our life stories. Especially when we're wrestling with the the tensions and the, the broken places in those stories. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And we see this again in Uh, These stories that we've just heard today from from Mark 10, where Jesus asks this question, uh, the same question of both his disciples, James and John, and the blind beggar, Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? It's a powerful question. What do you want me to do for you? This is a, a question that reveals the heart. And, and these two questions, the, these two encounters, they come at a crucial moment in the narrative as it's been unfolding in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, here Jesus stands on the edge of the final week uh, before his death. And as Jesus and his disciples have traveled, Jesus has tried to prepare them for what is coming. And each time he's, he's tried to, to bring them Into what is going to meet them in Jerusalem, he's met with misunderstanding. In Mark chapter 8, he begins to teach that uh, he must suffer and die and rise on the third day, and Peter rebukes him. You know, and Jesus calls him Satan and says, Get out of his way. In chapter 9, Jesus again tells them that, that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die, and immediately afterwards, he finds his disciples arguing with each other about which one of them is the greatest. In our, in our text today, Jesus tries again. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. And once again, the disciples are oblivious. They can't grasp why Jesus has to die. This is what we want to try and understand today. What's wrong with the disciples? Why was Jesus so insistent on this? And then finally, how can we be well? Like, Bartimaeus, with which this this series of passages ends, with him healed, his eyes opened, following Jesus. So, what is wrong? Why did Jesus have to die? And how can we be well? First, what is wrong? Why is it so hard for the disciples to hear what Jesus is saying to them? Part of the challenge is that Jesus was putting together two Two things that, to them, must have seemed mutually exclusive. On the one hand, Jesus calls himself the the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a title that comes from the prophet Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel describes a king who comes with power and glory and universal dominion over the earth. On the other hand, Jesus talks about this suffering and this dying. And so when James and John approach him with their questions, it's as if they've only heard the part that they like, and the part that they don't has just gone right over their heads. They hear about the glory and nothing about the suffering. James and John are like politicians who think they've got a winning candidate for president, and as election day arrives, they want to make sure that they get key positions in this new administration. Jesus speaks of pain and grief, but all James and John can think about is success. Jesus talks about being humiliated, and they're considering their own honor. Jesus says he's going to be condemned like a common criminal, and James and John are jockeying for positions of power. As Jesus says, they don't know what they're talking about. And the depth of their blindness is revealed when they answer Jesus' question are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? These images here of the cup and the baptism, these are images of suffering. And Jesus is asking you, can you undergo the suffering that I must experience? They replied, we are able. Jesus he could have scoffed at their audacity. But instead, gently, he, he grants that there will be suffering for them. The, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And, and James is killed by, by Herod. It's recorded in Acts 12 too. And John, of course, is, is exiled to Patmos where he writes the, the book of Revelation. But, but then Jesus basically says, I'm not worried about who's going to sit where. And, and you shouldn't be either. You're, you're missing the point entirely. But it wasn't just James and John, because the, the other disciples, they get wind of this conversation with Jesus, and they're angry. Why? Are, are they angry that James and John are, are filled with such blind ambition? Or are they angry because they had their eyes on those seats? And how dare James and John try and finagle their way into them? I think it has to be the latter. Because Jesus then calls them together, and once again he explains to them that in his kingdom, things are radically different than what they're used to. He says, you know that that's how things work among the Gentiles, but not so among you. Not so among you. Last weekend, uh, some of my kids and I went to see uh, A Wrinkle in Time, the the movie adaptation of Madeline Lingle's classic book. I'm sure that some of you here are in a good position to explain to me all the ways in which the movie is different than the book, you know, and uh, we should have that conversation. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a lot of fun. And for those of you who don't know this story, it's, it's about a scientist's father who disappears one day uh, because he's discovered a way to, to fold or to, to wrinkle time and space and travel through the universe. And it t- turns out to be a dangerous thing to do uh, because there's this evil power at work in the universe that they call the It. And the the It captures the father, and it's up to his children to to rescue him, the the teenager Meg and her precocious younger brother Charles Wallace. And one of the things I especially liked in the movie is how the power of the It is depicted. At one point, the It captures uh, the younger brother Charles Wallace and Charles Wallace is only five years old, but he's, he's extraordinarily intelligent. And so when the it comes to him, uh, it captures him by reciting the times table to him. Sort of the rhythm of the times table uh, worms into his mind and, and takes him over. Two times two is four. Four times four is 16. You math people have got to watch out for this. Okay? After the it takes him over, this boy, who is was, who was generous and thoughtful and kind, he becomes prideful and, and mean. The, the evil of the it turns out to be not just this outside force that the children must confront, but it can be inside of them, too. We're we're meant to see something similar in Mark 10. There's a drama that's unfolding here. Jesus has come to confront the evil it in our world. But it turns out that he can't just gather up all the good people in the world and get them on his side. Everyone has been infected. Even his disciples, who've spent three years learning from him, being with him. They have the it inside of them too. In the Gospels, uh, the inner circle of Jesus is always identified as uh, James and John and Peter. Uh, You might think of the Mount of Transfiguration where it's, it's James and John and Peter who Jesus takes up on the mountain. But here... James and John, they they appear to be trying to cut Peter out. Even on the the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, uh, there is no one immune. We know Peter has his own challenges. They might look okay on the outside. I mean, they're spending all their time walking around with Jesus after all. But on the inside... They're still full of of self-deception, of of pride, of ambition. No one is immune from the problem that Jesus came to deal with. And to the degree to which we grasp this problem, the, the human condition, will we be able to grasp why Jesus had to die in order to deal with it? David Brooks, in his uh, book, the, the Road to Character, he has a phenomenal chapter in this book on the life and thought of St. Augustine. And he, he's, he's trying to sum up uh, Augustine's own d- experience of discovering uh, that he was in some ways like, like Charles Wallace. That, that evil and sin uh, was not just something outside of him, but was inside of him. that it it was that subtle and and self-deceiving, and and that it made him radically self-centered. Here's how Brooks describes it. Augustine found himself feeling increasingly isolated. If you organize your life around your own wants, other people become objects for the satisfaction of your own desires. Everything is coldly instrumental. Just as a prostitute is rendered into an object for the satisfaction of orgasm, so a professional colleague is rendered into an object for the purpose of career networking. A stranger is rendered into an object for the sake of making a sale. A spouse is turned into an object for the purpose of providing you with love. In the same kind of way, James and John, in in this story, they they want to use Jesus. They've made him into an object for the satisfaction of, of their own desires. They lust for status and, and for recognition, for those places of honor. Probably dominated their daydreams. They might say that they want to serve Jesus, but, but really they're serving themselves. Mark puts this story here because as Jesus goes to the cross, he wants us all to see ourselves in these disciples. That we're all like this. Augustine says that we put our loves in the wrong order. We love our own needs more than we love other people. We, we love being popular more than we love a friend, so we gossip about them behind their back. We, we love our own comfort more than we love the poor, so we, we don't give generously. In each case, we, we cut ourselves off from God and from other people. This is the void that Jesus steps into. Jesus goes to the cross not just for those who know that they need a Savior. He goes to the cross for those like these disciples who who are self-deceived, who believe that they're capable of saving themselves. We are able The word that Jesus uses to describe what is needed is this word ransom. The Son of Man, he says in verse 45 the the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To say that there is a a ransom means that there's a price that must be paid, there's a cost involved in this redemption for Jesus and for God. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 puts it like this. You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. One of the best movies uh, I've seen in in recent months is a 2014 uh, Irish film. Uh, Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. So here's an Irish film recommendation for you. It's called Calvary. And it opens with a priest uh, named Father James, played by Brendan Gleeson. And the priest is taking a man's confession. And in the opening scene of the movie, the confessional window Uh, opens up and the man on the other side of the screen speaks. I'm going to kill you, Father. And the priest uh, replies with dry Irish humor. That's certainly a startling opening line. He goes on to discover that the man was abused by a priest as a child and that this murder will be his act of revenge. But why kill Father James? He's not the abuser, He's a dedicated, well-loved priest in the community, and the man explains, "There's no point in killing a bad priest, but killing a good one, that would be a shock. The, the shock is that a good man would die for the wrong done by another. This is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. In Christ, God pays the price for our selfishness and sin by cutting off His own Son. Fleming Rutledge comments on this language of of ransom in her book *The Crucifixion*. She says, "Redemption is not cheap. In the death of Jesus, we see God Himself suffering the consequences of sin. This is the price." When Christian teaching falls short of this proclamation, the work of Christ on the cross becomes nothing more than an example to admire, to venerate, perhaps even to emulate, but certainly not an event to shake the foundations of this world order. Shake the foundations of this world order? Yes, I mean, that's about as good a summary of Jesus' words in, in verse 42 as we could get. You know, he says, that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them, but not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. Not so among you. Jesus calls his, his followers to a different kind of life. What, what does it look like for us to live into this? How, how can we be well, truly well? This brings us to the, the little story of the, of the blind beggar, Bartimaeus. This isn't just another story of Jesus' healing power. Mar- Mark has designed his book so that this is the last story before Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. He meets Bartimaeus at at Jericho, and Jericho was the final stop before you made the ascent, about a day's walk. Bartimaeus is, is meant to show us what it means to follow Jesus. A man without any social status, a nobody, he has no power, no position, no connections, He's excluded and rejected. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. The the important teacher, Jesus, doesn't have time for a homeless beggar, they say. But while the disciples are blind to Jesus, this blind man sees. What does he see? Well, two things. He, He sees Jesus for who he is, the son of David, the the Messiah. And he sees himself in a profound way that the disciples have not. He sees himself as a person in need of mercy. When Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus doesn't look for any favors. He comes with nothing but his need to see. To receive salvation, Jesus says, to be truly well, means to come to him with faith like this. As we heard last week, everything is here for the asking, and and nothing can be bought. Friends, the the gospel invites you to believe like this, to, to believe that Jesus has done for you what you can't do for yourself. His achievement comes to you as a gift of grace. His death pays the price for all your failures. His suffering, his sacrificial love is for you in all the uniqueness of your story, in all your beauty, and all your brokenness. He just requires one thing. You must turn away from yourself, from your other lesser loves, and trust him. You must surrender to grace. You have to give up control. How can we do this? How can we really trust him? Only when we see what he's been willing to do to make us well, where he is going on this road to Jerusalem. As the son of God, he, he had no higher status that could be achieved but he exchanged it all to become a, a shameful, dying man on a cross. He was handed over to his enemies so that you might be welcomed as a friend into the kingdom. He was condemned so that you might be declared righteous. He was mocked so that you might be honored. When you believe this, you discover that the, the recognition and the status that you've been looking for from other places, from other people, actually comes comes from him as a free gift of grace. Do you see how a relationship like this has the power to change all your other relationships? If you're confident that God loves you, it will change how you relate to all the other people in your life. You won't be afraid of them and, and what they think because you know that your value does not ride on your achievements or what your boss or your colleagues or your parents think of you. If you know that Jesus has given His life for you, you will not be driven by fear but by gratitude in, in everything that you do. But this, this also means you, so you won't be you won't be fearful but you also won't be prideful. You won't look down on other people who, who don't measure up to your standards because you know that even on your best days, you're saved by grace, not by your accomplishments. In Christ, you can be both confident and humble because you know that God will never love you more or less than he does right now. believe this let's believe it together take heart get up he's calling you let's pray good and gracious God if if what we've been saying uh, here today is true we are dependent on you uh, to open our eyes to your grace and your glory and your love And so we ask that you would do that, that we might love you in response to your great love for us, that we might follow you, that we might throw off anything that is uh, encumbering us, that is holding us back, that uh, we would delight in your love and in your grace. Lord, we want to see, so we rely on you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we thank you that in the person and work of Jesus, you have shown your, your willingness, your delight uh, to do that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.